Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to A View from the Bridge, a Chelsea podcast from Football London. Uh, I am Adam Newson, and I'm joined this week by my beautiful colleague, Bobby Vincent. Bobby, how are you keeping? I'm beautiful. Keeping beautiful, thank you. Um, That's very nice of you to say. I don't think I look so beautiful today, but, you know, all good. I'm good, Adam. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You didn't quite find a hat for your hair for this recording, as you hope. So, no. Well, as you pointed out, I'm not going to be seen by um, anyone apart from you, and I don't really care what you think of me at this point. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we, don't have, we don't quite have enough time to get into that because uh, we have to reflect upon Chelsea's win at Leicester at the weekend, the game uh, that we were both at. Um, and also look ahead to the game against Everton, which is Chelsea's last game before the international break. Um, we will start with Leicester. As I said, we were both there. Took Bobby a lot longer to get home than it took me. But at least it, we were both travelling back after another Chelsea win. They're third on the bounce under Graham Potter. Things are looking up a bit. Um, we'll start with sort of general reflections from the game. Um, Bobby, what did you make of the performance and, and more probably more importantly what did you make of the fact that Chelsea you know secured another win and have kept momentum going after Borussia Dortmund and Leeds? The performance were it was a bit mixed for me I think um, I think Leicester probably started on top and then uh, then Chelsea grew into it a bit more and obviously the Ben Chilwell goal was brilliant um, great moment for him in front of uh, you know the fans who were giving him all sorts of abuse all game and he, he let them know about how he felt when he scored, which is great to see. I like that when footballers do that against former clubs. I'm not, I'm not in the business of um, not celebrating. I, I'm very much for celebrating, especially when you're getting booed as well. Um, so, yeah, that was good to see. Uh, but then, yeah, like Chelsea were having chances. They had that. They had the offside goal, Felix goal, which was a great, great goal. It was a great team move. Um, but he was offside, so it was quite cool. And then you just felt if Chelsea didn't take their chances, then it would be very much like what we've seen for a lot of the season. And the other team, in this case, Leicester, would eventually score um, and the momentum would swing a bit. And that is what happened. 
it wasn't great from Felix. He was dribbling in his own half and I don't think he needed to. He needed to keep it simple there. But, you know, that's that's what you get when you've got a player like him, I guess. Um, and then they scored um, from outside the box. Questionable goalkeeping, but I don't I don't think it was a clear mistake. And then, that, yeah, Leicester on top until until about well, just before um, Kai Havertz scores for Chelsea, which is right on the stroke of half time. I'd say Leicester were the better team from their goal to then. And yeah, I mean, Havertz's goal is brilliant. Um, Enzo Fernandez's assist, his volley, it's, it's perfect. It's such an aesthetically pleasing goal. Um, both both of us reacted at the time. Like I couldn't believe what we just saw, and it was one of those goals. It was it was great. Um, and then I think the second half, I mean, Leicester obviously wanted to bring a game to Chelsea, but I got to be honest, I was I, I thought they were very poor, Leicester, really. I think there were times where Chelsea were there for the taking, but Leicester just looked disjointed, but sort of not much in attack at all. They missed a couple of good chances. Um, and yeah, I think Chelsea did control the game as the second half went on a bit. Um, they changed... They put an extra man in the field with Conor Gallagher. I thought he did really well. Um, then eventually it went to the four at the back. And I think from then, I don't, I can't really recall many Leicester, clear-cut Leicester chances. And then Kovacic scores and Chelsea see the game out. So, yeah, I mean, definitely positives to take from um, from the game. It was nowhere near the sort of performance we saw against Dortmund. But we didn't expect it to because Dortmund was Chelsea's biggest game of the season. And they had to get themselves up for that. And it was good that they could they could get themselves to a level where they could beat Leicester because I, I was a bit concerned that we'd seen this Chelsea side play really well against Dortmund and the levels would drop off completely. But that wasn't the case completely. I think there were times in the game where Chelsea did look good. And at this stage of the season, a bit of a cliche, but the three points are, are all that matters. And yeah, a bit of momentum. Going into a game on Saturday, which we'll talk about later, which they should they should win again, and it should be four and about. So, yeah, I, a bit of a mixed one for me. Yeah, I think it's probably worth remembering as well that, as is the case with Chelsea, most games this season they had a lot of players absent. There was no Rhys James, there was no Raheem Sterling. Obviously, we know the likes of Thiago Silva and Gola Kante still not available as well. So there were there were a lot of players missing. Um, I thought Potter. He made two changes, probably, well, they both were enforced. So he's trying to at least get a framework of a side there now, I think. Um, as you said, the, the stand-up moment for me was the Enzo Fernandez pass. I mean, Chelsea haven't had a player capable of doing that kind of pass, at least on a consistent basis. I know Jorginho had his moments, but Enzo Fernandez, you say Chelsea haven't had a player in that ilk since Seth Fabregas left the club, someone who can have eight, uh, opposition players ahead of him and find a way through. It was an absolutely brilliant pass and just the moment of the game for me. Um, and just you know, emphasise why Chelsea spent so much money on him. Enzo is a is a special player and somebody who this Chelsea team can be built around for the next good four, five, six years, if not longer. So that was a really big moment for me. And as you say, it, it wasn't the, the best performance Chelsea have had in the last ten days. That was definitely Dortmund. I actually thought the second half Chelsea did well. Um, I think people's opinion on that second half is maybe being coloured a little bit because of the two chances that Leicester had. But I think both of those came from Kepa mistakes. The first one, you know, he he tried to get uh, sort of a punch and get on it. And the second one, he flapped it across. And 
you take those two chances out of that second half and Leicester really didn't offer too much of a threat. Um, they were actually better in the first half in that respect. And I think credit to Graham Potter because in that first half, I think James Madison was finding a lot of space um, in behind sort of Enzo Kovacic double pivot and bringing on Conor Gallagher just, just cemented that up a bit more. It, it didn't allow Madison to have that same space. And and I say, I thought Chelsea barring those two mistakes from Kepa that led to chances actually played pretty well. Um, the, the other sort of interesting talking point in terms of the selection, I guess, was uh, Mikhailo Mudrik came back in, played in a in the role that Sterling played against Dortmund, basically, which was there to, to stretch the back line uh, and create space for Joao Felix and Kai Havertz. I don't think he did it as effectively as Sterling. Um, maybe there's an element of teammates not quite being attuned to his movement yet, but I thought there were flashes in the game where you saw what Mudrick can bring on the ball. I mean, he was never going to be overly dominant against the two centre-backs, especially against, is it Harry Suter, isn't it, Who, who's an absolute giant. I mean, Mudrick's not winning many duels against him. But I know you've written about this, Bobby. What, how did you feel that experiment went? And look, I don't think we're going to see Mikhail Mudrick play there for the remainder of his career. I think this is very much one of those needs-must moments. But did he do enough to suggest that he is maybe settling into things a little bit more at Chelsea? I think the position he started in, um, I think it needed to be done because um, obviously I think he would have started Sterling if he was fit because he, uh, that front yeah. three worked really well against Dortmund. Um, and like they have similarities. They're both very quick. They're both um, they make great runs. So I can see why Potter tried it. And I don't think it did work, um, particularly well, in the first half. He was sort of up there on his own. He had Havertz and Felix either side of him. And then in the second half, he was sort of alongside Havertz. And then I, do, I think we saw the best of him when he went out onto the left, when Chelsea went forward or back. And that's when he scored the offside goal, which was really tight. And, you know, he was a, he was the last man to know about it in the whole of the King Power. <laughs> which you felt incredibly sorry for him because he was obviously very emotional getting his first goal. Great so, celebration, though. Great yeah, celebration. It, it, was, it was a good knee slide. Good knee slide. Um, and yeah, so you felt sorry for him then, but I mean that there's still a positive like seeing him run like that behind the defence and we, we got to see that pace which we all know he's got, but we haven't seen enough of it yet because he hasn't really had that space in any of the games he's played in. Um and then obviously he sets up Kovacic's goal, which he does really well for. It's it's a nice header, um sort of perfectly weighted for that uh, volley and it's a great volley. Um but yeah, I mean I think that's where we saw him at his best on the left-hand side, which is no real surprise. I mean, that's where he played the majority of his games, I think, for Shakhtar. Um, that's why Arsenal and Chelsea both desperately wanted him so much. And, yeah, like I said, I, I think it's something Potter had to do because of how well the system works over the last two games. Um, but he did struggle uh, against two physical centre-backs. And, I mean, it's, it's not really a surprise because he hasn't played much football recently. Probably still adapt. Well, he definitely is adapting to the physicality of the Premier League. Um, you hear a lot of professional players say how physical this league is, and you can see it watching as a fan or a journalist. Um, you can see it. So there's that aspect to it. And what you got to remember as well. I mean, Sterling has played. He's played up front before for Manchester City and Liverpool, so it's not his first time doing it. And that's probably why he looked a lot better than Mudrick as well. He's obviously 28, I think, Sterling. So he's got he's 
plenty plenty years older than Madrid, got more experience. So yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily something we'll see again, but I'm I'm glad we did see it. I'm glad um, he went out to the left hand side, and Chelsea fans got to see something they haven't seen a lot of yet, um, particularly in that game where it was a lot more open and less to Jason McGill. And we all know how dangerous a speedy winger winger can be on the counter attack. Yeah, absolutely. Seems to be a lot of discussion around Madrid at the moment, um, not just from Chelsea fans, Arsenal fans as well. Very keen to point out that Leandro Trossard has already got whatever it is, two goals and a few assists uh, following his move from Brighton. But look, for me, uh, for me, this is what good football clubs do when they sign young, talented attacking players, especially younger, talented attacking players, because Mudrick hadn't played since November. He was coming to a new country, a new league, a new style of football in a team that is less focused on transition encounters to, you know, Chelsea are a team who do come up against low blocks more often than not. And there isn't that same space to exploit for Madrid. And it will probably take him some time. It may not be until the start of next season where he truly feels settled in this Chelsea squad and, and in England and at the club. And as I say, I, I don't see any issue with him being bedded in slowly. Nobody's doubting his talent, his potential. But to me, good football clubs do this with players. They don't try and overwhelm them. They give them that space to learn and adapt. And we will see a very, very good player uh, come to the fore, maybe later on in this season or maybe next season. But I've got no doubts about Madrid. It will happen. It's just an, you know, an adaptation process. And yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about the jibes of Arsenal fans at this point. Give it two or three years. And we'll see who has come out on top in that uh, Leandro Trossard, Mikhailo Madrid situation. I would bet it'd be uh, Chelsea, if I'm being honest. Um, another player who who did enjoy their return to the King Power, you mentioned him earlier, was Ben Chilwell. I'm really pleased with Chilwell. He's had an absolutely awful 14, 15 months with injuries. You know, he's had to overcome an ACL, which is never easy. It's one of the hardest injuries to get over as a player. Um, then to come back to just getting sort of be getting back to your top level and then to have that hamstring injury miss the World Cup was I'm sure and a physical and an emotional blow because we know well I remember speaking to, to Ben Chilwell in the summer uh, and him saying that the World Cup was such a motivating factor in his recovery from the ACL so to then miss out on that because of another injury would have been very difficult for him I'm sure but yeah he is back now he's back at his best level I think he started the last six games he looks fit. He looks he looks very strong. He is probably one of the cleanest ball strikers in the Chelsea squad. He proved that with his volley the other day. And at that left in that left wing back role, there doesn't seem to be many better. Um, so how good is it for Chelsea, and how important will that be for the rest of the season to have a fit and flying Ben Chilwell back in the team? Yeah, it's great. Um, he like you said, he has he's looked really. Really impressive, particularly of his last three three games. I think the order of the Chelsea wins. Uh, I don't. I I think it's sort of understated how important having Chilwell and Rhys James is to this Chelsea side, particularly in a three at a back setup, because you need you need your wing backs to be you know top players, and they they both are two of the best in their position in the league. So yeah, Ben Chilwell, like you said, I'm delighted for him because he is beginning to look somewhat back to his best and. I ask credit to him because it must be, I can't even imagine how hard it is to get a long-term injury then, and, you know, get another setback, miss the World Cup. 
it must be so uh, demoralizing and yeah i'm delighted for him and like you said i i think i saw a stat the other day he's played i mean i might be wrong here but i think it's like 75 odd games at chelsea and he scored like 10 goals or something maybe more games maybe less goals or whatever i don't know for sure but i think that's such a good stat as well for um someone who's played wing back or a left back as well like that's that's a lot of goals and he does he does chip in usually with you know three four five goals a season and i think he's got two this season but he's been missing for most of it so he, he adds goals as well and that's that's an important thing and it was a great strike the other day uh sort of took us all by surprise no one really even expected him to shoot danny ward definitely danny ward definitely yeah. didn't expect him to shoot yeah and i mean a lot a lot of people would question the keeper because you get beat at your near post but i mean there's no way you would have expected it it was on the volley the ball was really high up to him as well it's a cooler body cross as well which is really weird to have your second <laughs> cross near to your left back um but yeah great goal and yeah i mean keeping him fit to the end of the season is imperative of course it is him and reese james uh and then i do really genuinely think they make such a difference to this side and i think if, they, if they're both fit or even one of them if one of them gets injured again touch wood that doesn't happen um there's such a better side for it and yeah delighted for him yeah hopefully we will see reese back in the team at the weekend i don't think reese is 100 percent there yet uh he's still on his journey back to full fitness but as you say when ben chewell and reese james are both fit and playing in these wingback roles they can be so devastating we saw it tantalizingly under thomas tuchel before it then sort of was taken all away from us uh very quickly so yeah hopefully Ben Chill can stay fit hopefully Reese James can get back to full fitness and Chelsea will have those two and maybe someone else who we'll talk about in a little bit uh back and ready for the Champions League run um I do just want to talk about one more thing before we sort of move on from the Leicester game um and I wrote about this uh in a piece that went out yesterday it sort of it was more about Conor Gallagher um, there are lots of players we could really focus on, actually, after the last few games. Mark Kukurea, uh, Kaleja Koulibaly, who, who's looking far more secure. But I did want to talk about Conor Gallagher just because I found his role quite interesting in the last few games. He's he's come off the bench in each of the each of the last three um, against Leeds and Dortmund. He came on with Chelsea leading and, and very much protecting a win. And against Leicester, he was brought on at half-time to shore up that midfield, as, as we spoke about uh, I was looking through the stats and against Dortmund, he played the best part of 25 minutes and he played two passes. He completed two passes in 25 minutes. Yet you think back on that game, as I was doing yesterday when I was writing this piece, and my my takeaway from that game was Gallagher had come on and done a really good job. Um, yeah, great. Which I think highlighted, and this is, you know, this kind of what I was debating in my head and let's put it out on Twitter, you know, is he a guard dog or is he a attack dog? Because he's been brought on to essentially help Chelsea get two victories, but he's doing it in a very proactive way. He is shutting down opponents, he's pressing them, he's putting in tackles, he's closing off passing avenues. And it's taken Conor Gallagher some time, I think, to truly find, or, or maybe not find himself, but find his role in this Chelsea team. I think there were lots of, of instances early in the season when he was so desperate to impress. Look, he's a, he's a boy here, Chelsea fan. He, he wants to make his impact in this team. I think he was maybe going too far. I think he was being too overzealous. And it, it did at times result in him getting cards and, and giving away cheap fouls. And it was frustrating. But in these last three games, I really think he's found, or Graham Potter has found, a role for him which really maximises Gallagher's strengths. You know, he he's not... He's not Zinedine Zidane on the ball. He's never going to be. 
but it doesn't mean that Conor Gallagher can't bring a lot to this Chelsea side. And I think this role as a closer almost when Chelsea are ahead is, is really, really good for him. And credit to him because he's faced a lot of criticism as well this season, um, but he seems to have come for it. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have anything to add on, on Conor's Rami? I think we've got a question later on about it. But uh, yeah. But yeah. I, was just, I was just thinking then when you said he's a closer, it's a bit like Harvey Specter from Suits. Have you, have you watched Suits? Do you get a reference? I have watched Suits. I have watched okay. Suits. got that reference. Yeah, good. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I, have, I have faith in you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I, are, we, are we saying Conor Gallagher is New York's best closer? Or yeah, that's what, that's what that was going through my head. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a bit too much pressure to put on him at this point. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think you've, I think you brought a good point there. He's he has sort of well Potter's sort of found this role for him and it might not be one that I don't know for sure, but like, I, I can't imagine him him himself would like that. He'd probably want more of a role than that. Um, you know, he's shown at Palace, he does have the ability to score goals, um and to like do stuff on the ball as well as off the ball. He's brilliant off the ball. He's he's one of the Chelsea's best uh pressing and you know, when you bring him on he's gonna Try his absolute hardest, like, like you said, sometimes too hard. Um, I think, who was it you've sent off against? Was it Leeds? I want to say, uh, sent off Leicester at home, Leicester at home, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was an instance where I think he was trying too hard to impress, sort of thing, but uh, yeah, he what what par has found in the last three games or whatever, it, it it does look good for him. Um, like you said, he sort of plays well without necessarily having the stats to back it up, um, on the ball stats anyway. I can't believe that stat you said against Dortmund because, like you, I did think he came on and played well. Um, mm. But he, de- like, I think he does often find himself in positions as well. I think, I think it was against Dortmund where he was offside, but he, um, Sterling played it to him um, across the goal. Mm. I think when he comes on and has fresh legs, he he often bombs upfield as well, which is which is good for a midfielder. Um, what sort of Chelsea don't really have that much. Um, you've got obviously yeah. like Kovacic and Fernandez; they, they both tend to sit more than attack um, and even if they do get forward they won't necessarily get into the box so yeah it, it's good to have someone like him he's completely different to Chelsea's midfielders and hopefully it's a role that he likes he enjoys himself because like you said he's he's desperate to um, desperate to please it's this boy club and we saw in January those clubs that wanted to sign him but he didn't want to leave and I mean I guess that sort of shows what sort of character he is. That he's willing to stay and fight for his place rather than go out and get guaranteed first team minutes, but not at the club that he wants to be at. So, yeah, I, I really hope for his sake that this is a role we can see, we can um, see him in the long term in the future, and it carries on. Yeah. Yeah, we will see how it shapes up. I'm sure from his perspective, he'd love to be starting games. Of course, every player does, but. Uh... But a very, very sort of elite level clubs, there isn't anything wrong with being a very important squad player. Um, we've seen probably someone like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, his value to this Chelsea squad. He can play in so many different roles and has done over the last year. It is important to be a good professional and a good squad player at some points, even if I know every single player out there would want to start games. But uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about now. We'll move on and talk about one of the clubs that actually were interested in Conor Gallagher uh, in January, Everton. Um, they visit Stamford Bridge at the weekend. They had a obviously immediate upturn in form after Sean Dyche replaced Frank Lampard, beating Arsenal, but hasn't been straightforward, which probably was inevitable given Everton's position in the table. Um, and 
I feel they've got a very good or a strong enough starting eleven, but not much underneath that. So for me, the visit of Everton is obviously a huge opportunity for Chelsea and Graham Potter to really go into this international break with some real, real strong momentum behind them. Four wins on the bounce is never easy. Um, yes, you can argue the Premier League fixtures have maybe been a bit kinder to Chelsea than they could have been, but look, Chelsea lost a home to Southampton, so nothing is a given um, in the Premier League. So I, I'm i actually confident, uh, which I haven't been a huge amount the last few months, uh, that Chelsea can get the job done here. There are going to be some big decisions to make but just from a just from a sort of club perspective from a, a wider view on it Chelsea need to win this game right because you don't want to have any setbacks you don't want to have that momentum being halted especially because it's international break coming up because if Chelsea were to lose fingers crossed they don't Chelsea were to lose you've got two weeks to stew on a defeat and that feeling of, of momentum being checked just at a time where it needs to continue because you've got the Champions League quarterfinals coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's nothing worse as a football fan than your team losing before the international break. It, as you Like you say, you've got two weeks until you can put it right. And as a football fan, I'm sure you know, there's, there's sort of nothing worse than knowing that your team played when they last played, they lost. And it's what you, all you think about when you don't really want to talk about football. It really does get you down that much. And um, yeah, you, you said about the fixture this being easy, well, easier for Chelsea um, over the last few weeks. But I mean, they got some really, as, as a Premier League goes, obviously, they got to play each team twice. They got some really tough teams coming up. And they got, I think, between now and the end of the season, they got to play Liverpool at home. They obviously rearranged that game. Um, Man United away, Arsenal away, and Man City away. So they have a Premier League top three just there, all the way from home. So um, they're, it is absolutely vital that Chelsea can keep this momentum going against a team that's been awful on the road this season. I think they've got one win away from home, and that was against Southampton, who were also down there. So, um, good yeah, team sure. good team can beat anyone on their day. Yeah, great day. They're a really weird team, actually, aren't they? Because I think they've done the double over Chelsea this season. Anyway, yes, um, they have. Yeah, mentally. thanks for bringing that up, though. That was good. Yeah, good reminder. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Sean Dyche is obviously, we know what Sean Dyche is about and like you, I think they've got a good enough team to stay up and I think now they've got a, not, not, not to take any way, anything away from Lampard, but they have, a, they have a guy in Sean Dyche who's experienced at doing what they're trying to do, stay up. He's done, he's done it countless times at Burnley in the past um, and I think he will get them over the line. But I think a lot of that relies on their home form and I think their only wins so far maybe two, maybe three have all been at home. Like you said, against Arsenal and they beat, I can't think of they beat last time out, Brentford. Um, I think I was one in between that. So yeah, the the majority of their wins will come at home, I think, between now and the end of the season and their away form. Anything you can get from it is sort of bonus. I think Sean Dyche should be looking at it, but that's not to say he's not going to come to Stamford Bridge and set up his side to make as hard as humanly possible to beat because we know how he does it. But I think it, I think it's important. Um, we spoke about Enzo Fernandez earlier. I think he'll have a really important role in this game because you need players like him who can beat the low block. Everton will come come back. They'll come to Stamford Bridge. They will sit back and look to your counter attack, and they will have you know nine men behind the ball for a lot of the lot of the game. And you need someone like Enzo Fernandez to get those lovely little dink balls over to Kai Havertz. Not necessarily the same thing again, but you know what I mean. And mm. um, 
yeah, you need those creative players for midfield, and I think he'll have a really important role. And yeah, I am, I am confident Chelsea can um, win this game. If you had asked me sort of a week and a half ago, and I probably wouldn't have been as confident. But I think this Chelsea side are definitely they've definitely shown improvements, and it's absolutely crucial they continue between now and the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's funny how quickly things can can feel a bit more optimistic. You spoke about Enzo Fernandez there. I imagine we'll see him partnered with Mateo Kovacic from the start in this one. But there is the distinct possibility that Angola Kante is back in the matchday squad. He's been training now since before Leeds. So he's had a week uh, under his belt, a week and a half, something like that, of full training under his belt. Um, Chelsea have been very, very cautious with him in terms of his recovery, it's been six months-ish. Um, seven. Seven? Seven months. I worked, I worked out earlier today. I uh, did it on the on a website. <laughs> I didn't work out myself. I, I haven't got the brain power for that. Mid-August. The first home game of the season was the last time Ngole Gante played for Chelsea, which was the 2-2 draw against Tottenham. So it's been a long time. He's going to have to be used back in. But just to have him in the matchday squad back involved and maybe maybe depending on the match and how it goes get some minutes will be absolutely huge for Chelsea won't it yeah absolutely um Chelsea fans are desperate at this point to see him back and understandably so and again it's understandable um how Chelsea have been sort of slow and cautious and bringing him back it has felt like an eternity and I mean just seven months on so much has changed he like, he hasn't played under Potter yet which like seemed quite obvious but then when you think about it it's pretty mad because Potter's been there six months um, and obviously for everyone loads of backroom staff have left the club's board looks different um, there's you know probably like 10 new signings from when he last played um, so everything's different uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll be able to have a similar cante to what we know and yeah, if he gets, he's not going to start. I'll be so, so surprised if he starts. Um, because yeah, like the longevity of him being out, it's it wouldn't seem um, sensible to start him. But if he can just come on for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is, depending on the scoreline, then that would be great. And he, he's bound to get such a good ovation at Stamford Bridge, um, regardless of the scoreline. You'd like to think. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just exciting to see him back because it just feels an absolute eternity since we last saw him play, and hopefully get him fit for these um, Champions League quarterfinals because we all know we all know how important he can be in a Champions League run. So whoever Chelsea face in the quarterfinals, then you'd like to think that he'd be fit enough to you know play an integral role in both legs. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely a fit. N'Golo Kante is such a game changer for Chelsea. We know that from the Champions League run in 2021. Uh, if he's at his top level, he can transform the team and take it from a very good team to an outstanding team. So, yeah, hopefully he's involved in some capacity, even if he doesn't get off the bench, just to have him back in that squad. To hear his name read out, there will be a good reception for him. If he can get 10 minutes, great. If he doesn't, it's not a big issue. Probably means Didier Deschamps doesn't feel tempted to select him for international duty, given... Yeah. If Kante's on one leg, he seems to get called up. So, um, so maybe it's not the best thing if he gets covers on against Everton because suddenly he'll be back in the France squad. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully he's back involved in some capacity. It will be a good moment for him. Um, in terms of other sort of, we're we're 
we think Reese James will be back because he was back in training. Abamyang was back in training. Mason Mount was back in training yesterday. They were all involved. I didn't see Raheem Sterling uh, in any of the images or videos. So maybe his tight hamstring is just being managed. But on the proviso that Sterling is fit, would you make too many changes? I mean, personally, I think it's pretty obvious that if Reese James is fit, Reese James plays. For Ruben, uh, uh, Ruben's done a very good job filling in for James at right wing back when he's needed to, but it's not his natural role. And then Reese is well the best around. So that's logical for me. I would bring Sterling back in if he's fit for, for Mudrick. Um, because Sterling has that penalty box now. Uh, look, he may not be the, the most sort of technically clean player in terms of everything he does, but in the six-yard box and attacking that space, I think he's excellent. And as you said earlier, Chelsea are likely to come up against a low block where space is limited. You need somebody to be able to to exploit the space that to exploit to exploit the space that is there. And I think Sterling would do that better than Mudrick. Um, and the only other sort of potential switch I, I could envisage happening is is more because of the size that Everton have. They have a lot of big players. You know, James Tarkowski, um, Anana. Not sure if Dominic Calvert Lewin will be hundred percent there, but if he's fit, then he's obviously another physical presence. I do wonder if we'll just see Benoit Badia she'll step in on the left of the back three because the last thing you'd want if Calvert-Lewin is fit or if, you know, from set pieces is to Everton to to sort of tower over Chelsea. And I think Badia Shield ahead of Mark Cucurella is something that could happen. Um, we'll see. Are there any other potential changes in your mind for this one? Yeah, I'd be t- um, I agree with Badia Shield because, well, for a couple of reasons, like you said, Everton um, are very good from... Well, under Sean Dyche, they're very good from set pieces. Um, that's where they're looking to get most of their goals. Um, Tarkovsky and Michael Keane are both very physical and dominant in the air. And Badia Shield is essentially and simply much taller than Kukurea and um, better in the air. As well as Kukurea's played, um, might not really seem fair to um, leave him out the side. But I don't think it's you could. It's not really dropping him. It's more you know changing the game for. The opponent and trying to um, trying to play well against their weaknesses. So yeah, and Badia Shiel, of course, um, played superb before he got um, before Kukurea came in. So I think it would be nice to see him back in the side. It would be good for his confidence as well. Uh, I'd like, apart from that, I'd like to see the same side that played against Dortmund if Sterling was fit. Um, so yeah, James back in. The only change would be Badia Shiel for Kukurea. So. I'd like to see that. I think in the midfield, two picks itself at a moment, because Kante isn't, you know, as we spoke about, he's not ready yet to start a game. And Kovacic and Enzo have seem, seemingly got this, the start of something special there, potentially. Um, they've shown signs that it's a good partnership and it could work. They're both brilliant players and it's, they're, they're great to watch as well. And then the two wing backs pick themselves. And I think the front three does if Sterling's fit. Um, hopefully, hopefully he is. We don't know yet for sure. We'll find out more on Friday. I think Potter's press conferences. But yeah, I mean, I I would be tempted to go for something similar that we saw against um, Dortmund. That's what I wanted to see last weekend. But Sterling and James both weren't available, so I would like to see it again this weekend. And I think that would be enough to. But I think any side Chelsea put out should be enough to beat Everton. You'd think, but I would like to see the the Dortmund side again. 
Yeah, so would I. I think something we've spoken about a lot obviously is is the inability on Potter's part to have picked a settled eleven because of injuries. He now has that chance to go with at least as close to maybe one change, uh, if not the same side. So, yeah, for me that is that's the team to go for. Uh, we'll see how how it plays out, and hopefully Chelsea can get another win. Um, this wasn't on the on the running order; it should have been. So I'm going to throw it to you now. Uh, unexpectedly, so I'm going to see how you answer it. Ooh. Champions League draw on Friday. Chelsea will find out who they get in the quarterfinals. There is, in my mind, a draw to absolutely avoid, and I'll be writing this later on. Uh, but who would you back Chelsea to progress against out of those still left in? Um, of course, we've still got a couple of games to play tonight, but I'm somewhat banking on Real Madrid knocking out Liverpool. Um, and I can't remember the other game. I apologise. Uh, uh, the other game is Napoli-Frankfurt. Napoli-Frankfurt, of course it is. Uh, I would very much expect Napoli to progress, seeing as they hold a 2-0 lead. So, for argument's sake, and we could look very, very foolish when this is released, uh, if it's not released before the games, but for argument's sake, Napoli-Real Madrid progress. You've got your, your seven potential opponents there. Who would you... Back Chelsea to overcome in two legs, and who would be the team to absolutely avoid? It's a good question. I think I, I think our avoid teams to avoid team to avoid is going to be the same. Um, going to go Man City. I just yeah. think, yeah, um, yeah. I just think Man City. Uh, they're, they're going to win this Champions League eventually. They've been, you know, they've come close a couple of times, notably in twenty twenty one. Um, but they're they're absolutely desperate for it. Pep, as much as Pep plays it down, we all know that it that's what he wants to win. He's gagging for it, absolutely gagging for it. Um, I think he, I think he just wants Julia Roberts to come to a game. To be yeah, that, that, that was odd. I only read about that just before we went on the podcast. I, was, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I saw she was trending, and I like I was like, "Whoa, why is Julia Roberts trending?" And I was like, "And I just saw loads of stuff about Pep Guardiola." And I was like, "What? What? How, how yeah. bizarre? How random?" But yeah. Um, I think as much as he pays it down, I think he'd rather win the Champions League with Man City than have Julia Roberts attend his game. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure the fans would as well. Um, so yeah, I like. I know they played Leipzig last night, and no disrespect, like Leipzig Scra- scraped through. Scraped yeah, scraped through. Scraped through. I think Harden only got five, so you know it was a it was a hit and run. T- sort of touch and go there for a minute. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I would just want to avoid them because. I think as well they'll, they'll be wanting to get revenge in the Champions League against Chelsea as well. If if that's something you believe in, the sort of revenge thing in football, then there's that sort of um, narrative. And yeah, I just think out of the teams left in there, I think overall they got the best squad, they've got the best team. Um, but look, there are a couple others as well who you know will prove to be really hard games. Like Bayern Munich and Real Madrid, like you said, Real Madrid. Expect this go through tonight. They've got a free all advantage against Liverpool. Um, so they're both really good sides, obviously, but Chelsea have shown they couldn't beat Real Madrid um, recently, so I wouldn't put it past them again. I, I do genuinely think um, Chelsea are one of the teams that quite a lot of clubs there would want to avoid because because of their sort of recent history of competition, because of the squad they've now got, even though it's not at its best by any means. But... Um, I, I do. I do genuinely think that Chelsea are one of the teams that other clubs would be almost fearful of. And then you've got 
you've got both men and sides, which is, I saw a stat, I think it's the first time that's happened. They've both been in the quarterfinals since 2004, I think, mm. which is a bit mental when you think of the size of both clubs. Uh, Chelsea made AC Milan look very ordinary in the group stage, to be honest. It, it would be a different game. If, I would have expected it to be as sort of straightforward for Chelsea, but I mean, you, if Chelsea draw them again, then it, there, there would be optimism um, they could go beat them again. Of course, it would. They've already shown it twice in two games. And then in Milan as well, I think, you know, without being an, an expert on Italian football, you'd think Chelsea would have enough to beat them. And then there's Benfica. I think Nap- Napoli are a dangerous one. I think I've, I, I watched Napoli play against Liverpool in both legs, um, not both legs, both games of the group stage this season. They look genuinely a really good side, really dangerous side. They have that um, Georgian guy whose name I cannot pronounce. I'm not going to try and do it. He's just, Looks like an absolute menace. Um, Cavaradonna. Cavaradonna, yeah, that's it. But, you know. Um, <laughs> Faris Gellier, I think it is. Yeah, I, I, I would call him Cavaradonna because um, his actual name is too odd. But yeah, <laughs> they, 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 do look, they do look a good side. And I can see them getting a bit further in the quarterfinals maybe this year, depending on their draw. So, But again, I mean, if Chelsea did draw them, I mean, you still you still back Chelsea, you know. Um, they still be favourites going into the tie and I think just one to absolutely avoid and I think you'll say the same is Man City ones you don't want are probably Real and Bayern but you would I mean you wouldn't be too upset if you got them and then any of the other however many teams four teams yeah no I I, am very much of the same opinion in terms of who to avoid I've been up to the Etihad twice already this season to watch Chelsea lose in the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup. Don't particularly want to go again, uh, to be honest, and see Chelsea potentially get hammered in the Champions League because the record that the SC had is absolutely dismal now. So, yeah, it'd be quite nice to avoid Manchester City in a cup competition this season. Um, and then the other sort of seven potential sides we've discussed, uh, I th- I'd give Chelsea a punch's chance against anyone. Uh, to be honest, it, as you said, they Chelsea can beat every team in that draw uh, on their day. Milan, probably the, the one you'd, you'd maybe favour just because of how Chelsea sort of dispatched them in the group stage. There wasn't too much difficulty there. Of course, Champions League quarterfinal and the pressure that comes with that is is, is very different. But uh, yeah, I, I'd probably back Chelsea to get past Milan. Inter is an interesting one because I don't think Inter Milan are are a huge, huge threat to Chelsea, but I cannot escape the narrative of a very, of a big Belgium lad suddenly turning up in a Champions League quarterfinal and knocking, knocking yeah. his parent club out of the Champions League. So just, just to ask an ignorant question, he can definitely play. He yes, you can, he can definitely play against Chelsea. The the sort of precedent was set for this when Thibaut Courtois played for Atletico. Uh, mm-hmm. against Chelsea a few years ago. So, yes, Romelu Lukaku could theoretically play should Chelsea draw into Milan. And I could not think of something more Chelsea than the <laughs> former club's record signing who was sent away after a season suddenly turning up in a Champions League quarterfinal and knocking Chelsea out. Yeah. It's, so it's, I, right. I would quite like to avoid Inter just for, for that hellish narrative to be avoided. Um, Benfica would be an interesting one obviously nice nice story that would be with Enzo going back to Benfica um, following his move Bayern 
I don't think are the all conquering Bayern of years past, but they still have absolutely world class players in their attack um, and could very much turn up. Um, so yeah, I don't. I, I actually don't think you can maybe make the case for Man City, but I actually don't think there's an absolute clear favourite for this year's Champions League. There are some very good teams. Maybe Man City, as they sort of proved against Leipzig when they turn it on, are the best team in Europe, but they have been a bit more inconsistent this year. So, yeah, it's quite open. And um, but the draw is Friday. We will have it covered on the Football London website, so do come over for that. Um, we'll also have all the usual stuff on Friday, including Graham Potter's pre-match press conference uh, and all the build-up to the game against Everton. So do come along and join us on the Football London website. Before we go, though, Bobby, you asked for some questions in the always friendly world that is Twitter. <laughs> and some people did send some. Um, so I'm going to throw them at you. First one, I'm not going to go in order that you sent me them. So I'm going to mix oh, them up. God, it's a curveball. Huh? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I just like to make things difficult for you. Mm. Um, We'll go to the first one. What are your thoughts on Chelsea signing Joao Felix on a permanent deal in the summer? Uh, I think I think it's hard to say right now because he's only played what like I don't know, making this up seven games or something. Um, he has he has looked good. I think he, I think he would have liked to have scored you know one or two more goals for you know seven or eight more goals he'd have liked, but. Um, he has only scored the one goal so far. He's been unlucky a couple of times with offside calls, and he's hit he's hit the post and bar so many times. I don't I don't know how many times, but I think overall he has looked good. I think he's kind of what you expected in terms of he's very neat and tidy on the ball. He, he produces a sensational flick every now and then, and he's a very you know enjoyable player to watch. I I do, I do think the uh, sort of role he's playing at the moment. Um, behind the number nine, um, alongside Habits, is something that suits him. I'd I'd like it, but I think it very I think it very much depends on the fee as well because he just signed a new contract that Atletico, you know, I, I assume to sort of protect his value uh, more than anything because from what we hear, like in reports in Spain stuff like that, he doesn't have the best relationship with Simeone, and he doesn't look like he has like a sort of long-term future there. So I think it was more to protect his value and Atletico are going to want a lot for him because they signed him for like ridiculous money. I think it was like 120 million maybe from Benfica all those years ago. And they're not going to want to lose a lot of that on a, you know, a player who's still class. Um, but I, if Chelsea can get a deal that suits them um, money-wise and, you know, all, all the other stuff that comes with it, then I think go for it because I think he has, I think he need. I think he's a bit like habits in the sense that we can see something's there and um, he just needs, just needs to unlock it almost to have it on an absolutely consistent basis. And then you've got this potentially world-class player who, who's going to, you know, pay back every penny that you spent on him. Um, so I would like to see it, but, you know, I, I think there's definitely. I, I am very much sitting on the fence in this regard because there are very there are loads of arguments for and against it because he is going to cost you a lot of money. I think the lo- I think the loan spell was good business from Chelsea, even though they you know they are paying a hefty amount for just half a season. But I think it is good business because I think you get to see 
you what you bet you effectively get to make the decision in the summer I, from the sounds of it, it, it he would be keen um just from like speculation he would be keen on being with chelsea it seems like he loves it so yeah i yeah very much sitting on the fence um, but I, I am leaning more towards i would like i would like to see him at chelsea permanently but i think it's too early yeah, from all accounts, he is very settled here uh, at Chelsea. For me, there's probably, I'm going to answer a question with three questions of my own, which is, is Diego Simeone staying at Atletico Madrid beyond this season? Yeah. What would be the fee? And do Chelsea really need to spend the money that they'd have to commit on Felix when they've got Christopher and Kunku coming? Those yeah, would be my it. three questions. Yeah, I, I, but, always, I always forget about Kunku, sorry, that, that like, that's what also what you got to think about because Chelsea also went and signed Madueke and Mudrick, who you know play on the wing, not necessarily Felix's position, but I mean very similar positions, and it, it's sort of either or in that regard. So they've they've got an absolute load of attackers, and you got players coming back from loans like Hudson and Doy. So there, there is that to consider as well. Yes, definitely. Uh, that was from at Mysterious Boy. So thank you for that. Next question from Abnus106. Uh, it's quite a few questions, so I'm just going to pick one. Uh, and it's not, uh, would you rather fight 50 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? It is, what is the situation with Mateo Kovacic? Do Chelsea renew his contract? Does he want to stay? Thoughts? Um, I, th I think there's there's been stuff that he does that Chelsea are keen to... Um, renew his contract. I think he's got just over a year left on it. Uh, I don't know for sure if he wants to sort of stay at the club or whether, whether he wants to move elsewhere. I don't know if you know anything more about that, but I think from Chelsea's point of view, they should. Like, they, they should be looking at um, extending his contract because he's also, as well as being a sort of top player, we know he can be, he's also one of the sort of more senior players in the um, squad now he's he wore the armband at the weekend I think against Leicester and so he's one of you know the captains and with Asper quite a potentially even in the summer and Thiago Silva you know not being able to go on forever Chelsea do need to sort of keep these experienced more senior players around and I think Kovacic is a great example of that I also think it very much depends what the club do in terms of uh, summer recruitment We've obviously the name Declan Rice refuses to go away. But whether Arsenal are further ahead now, it looks like they might be. Um, so it depends if they go out and buy someone else instead of Rice or Rice. But I, 100%, if you're asking me, and now Graham Potter, I'd be wanting to sign a new contract because I think he is I think he is a top player on his day. And I think what we've seen as well is a potential sort of good partnership with uh, Menzo Fernandez and that double pivot that could, you know, be one for Chelsea over the next few years. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Just sticking with the the midfield theme, uh, Tony though, and then lots of numbers, which apologies, I'm not going to read out because we'll be here for another 10 minutes, uh, says who should Chelsea prioritise in the summer in terms of midfielders, a number six, an eight, or both? Oh, um, I think an eight. If you prioritise one, because I think Enzo Fernandez sits well in the six, and I don't know for sure, but I don't know. I don't know if he's got much experience of playing in an eight, Enzo. Um, but I think, yeah, I definitely think an eight. I think you need 
you need an energetic midfielder who's sort of going to go up and down. Um, you've obviously got Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who's we don't know what's going to happen with him, but he's only got a year left in his contract. He could be going. You've got Conor Gallagher, who we mentioned earlier, um, whether or not he changes his mind about not potentially getting as much many starts as he wants in the summer and let's move on. We don't know. But I think, yeah, I think someone in the sort of Kovacic mould um, would be where I'd look at. But from all the names I've heard so far, they have tended to be um, more sitting midfielders like Declan Rice, Edson Alvarez is a name as well that um, Chelsea is still, still keen on. Um, there's other names as well, which I just forget right now. But, but yeah, so I would think probably an eight because Chelsea have just spent 100 odd million on Enzo Fernandez, who I do think plays really well in a six, um, whether that's in a sort of double pivot or in a midfield three. Yeah, I think it depends on the system. I think personally, if it's midfield as it is now with a double six, then I still probably would actually favour a six. I think Enzo, you want Enzo close to the goal. You don't want him deeper. You want him in that area he was in against Leicester where he can influence things in the final third more. Um, if you can get a, I know his name's mentioned already, so I'm going to use him for argument's sake. If you can get a Declan Rice figure who is going to do that more defensive work and take some of that responsibility of Enzo, I think it's worth doing because Enzo is a special player. Um, he can, as I said earlier, he can see the passes that very few can see. And for me, I'd want him closer to the goal than he has been. Um, maybe you can do that with N'Golo Kante coming back. I mean, a four, you know, if you change the system to a 4-3-3, I still think you need a single six uh, because I don't think Kante plays that role brilliantly, despite what everyone seems to say. He's not a defensive midfielder. He is not a sitting midfielder. And Gola Kante is not a sitting midfielder. He's a man who you let go and search and destroy. It's always when he's been at his best in a two. Not a sitting midfielder. Can everyone stop saying this, please? And yeah, so if you're going to do a midfield three, you could have uh, Kante Enzo and another uh, who would probably do more of the sitting work. Last question, and we'll wrap it up after this because we are going fairly long. Um, it's a bit more of a light-hearted one and kind of feeds into the Conor Gallagher discussion we had earlier. It's from our colleague, Tom Colley, uh, which is continuing the Gallagher uh, as a dog metaphor. What breed would he be? Now, I'm going to say now, I'm not a dog person, so you could probably say anything here and I would have to agree with you. As I said <laughs> to you before we started this call, my sister has a beagle. It's incredibly irritating. I imagine it's incredibly irritating to play against Conor Gallagher because of the way he is in terms of his, his energy and, and relentlessness. So I'm going to say that just because I don't really know much else about dogs. But you go and let me know what you think. My, I'm thinking of like, I'm doing like a half and half sort of dog here almost. It might seem ridiculous, but I'm thinking looks wise, you've got obviously you've got sort of Gallagher's golden locks um, beautiful golden locks and then you've got a golden retriever this is, is the thing that stands out most but beautiful dogs really friendly dogs here like they they almost smile like if dogs could smile they're smiling and Conor Gallagher again he, look, he looks like he's always having a good time even when he's on the pitch I think he seems to be one of Chelsea's um, happier players so I think that personally but then I don't think they're really irritating they're quite nice and friendly dogs quite laid back um but I, I guess your personal experience, you've had a, you've got an irritating beagle. I don't think I've ever actually met a beagle. I, I don't have one. I'm not, I'm I not going to say. I'm, I'm not, my sister has one. I do not have a beagle. I, I'm not taking that. 
Oh no, sorry, I do, not, I, I do not have one. No, sorry, I meant to say you've met one. Yeah, I did mean that. Um, I don't want to like slander beagles because I haven't really met one. I think it'd be unfair to um, slander them. So, oh, how have I met? That's quite irritating. I think chihuahuas are annoying. Um, I just don't really rate them. I, I don't really get the why you'd have one sort of thing. I think they're just quite small, yappy, and annoying. I think Conor Gallagher could be a bit yappy with his tackles. You know, sort of sticking a foot out, <laughs> treading on some of the kiddies almost. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a weird one, but I go for like a... I don't know if I'm going to go Chihuahua. I, I think I will. I'll go for a Golden Retriever Chihuahua, but I'm very I'm very on the fence with Chihuahua, but definitely a Golden Retriever. And I also think that would be a really weird breed of dog, that half Golden Retriever, half Chihuahua. But, you know, that's Conor Gallagher for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you look absolutely amused. You cannot say we have not tackled the big questions today. Um, yeah. Maybe next week we can discuss N'Golo Kanto's favourite takeaway or something like that. But anyway, we will see uh, N'Golo Kanto would collect 100%. But anyway, we will, uh, yeah, we will see. We'll leave it there before this descends into absolute madness. Um, thank you for joining me, Bobby. Uh, we will both be at Stamford Bridge, trains permitting, uh, on Saturday. I'm not sure how easy it's going to be for you to get there, Bobby, but we will see. There's strikes, are there? Yes, there are strikes. Oh, I didn't realise. Okay. So while yeah. Bobby goes and frantically looks at the National Rail website, uh, we will leave it there. Everybody take care. It's been a pleasure as always, and we will see you next week.